I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. Scientists in India worried about the public health consequences of immersing idols in lakes and rivers have been looking anew at water pollution. At home, on Tuesday, the government approved legislation allowing members of non-religious groups such as the Humanist Association of Ireland to perform civil marriages. As discussion around the censure of Father Brian Darcy continues, a BBC television documentary has revealed how, when a priest in 1975, Cardinal Sean Brady didn't pass on information about the abuse of children by Norbertine father Brendan Smith to the parents of those children. These stories have been analysed in depth and at length in all media, but for an overview from Rome of these and other matters, Godslot producer Jerry McArdle spoke to columnist author and Vatican expert John Allen. John, you would have heard recently of the case of Father Brian Darcy who has been disciplined by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Is it beginning to appear like there is a concerted crackdown by Pope Benedict XVI? Well, first of all, just as a technical matter, none of these priests were censured by the Vatican. They were, to the extent they've been censured, they were censured by their religious orders. But of course, that's because the Congregation for the Faith called in the superiors of those orders and read them the Riot Act. Uh, look, I would grant you that I think there is something of a crackdown unfolding. I mean, we, we have seen in just the last few days not only the revelations about the five priests in Ireland, but also a crackdown on the main umbrella group for the superiors of women's religious orders in the United States, the Leadership Conference of Women Religious. Uh, we have seen the Vatican imposing new rules over Caritas Internationalis, which is the main umbrella group for Catholic charities around the world, tightening its control uh, over that outfit. Uh, so uh, it is clear that we are living through a, a sort of avalanche of various kinds of disciplinary measures. What I would dispute uh, is that it's quite as concerted uh, as, as some people believe. My experience of the Vatican is that it is rarely as organized uh, and rarely uh, moves in one uniform direction. And I think the, the present moment is a clear case in point. There are some agencies in the, in the Vatican that are quite interested in imposing order and others that aren't. Uh, and I don't see any particular evidence that that incoherence is going to be resolved by Pope Benedict XVI anytime soon. So is Pope Benedict XVI calling the shots here, or is it the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith? Uh, I would say that it is not Benedict XVI who is calling the shots in any meaningful sense. Uh, Obviously, the Pope has to sign off on these decisions, or or some of them. I mean, frankly, in the case of many of these Irish priests, it was a matter of Cardinal Leveda at the Congregation for the Faith calling in the superior to suggest or instruct uh, that something be done that probably never even got to the Pope's desk. In other cases, such as the crackdown on, on the women's religious group in the States, that did involve a papal decision. I wouldn't want to misconstrue this. It's not that I think the Pope is opposed to it. He has clearly shown himself to be willing to approve disciplinary measures when they're proposed to him. But at the same time, this is quite clearly a teaching Pope, not a governing Pope. He doesn't take much interest in day-to-day administration, and therefore I think you're going to misconstrue this if you imagine that it's all being orchestrated out of the papal apartment. I think instead the reality is that some Vatican departments are pressing full steam ahead and, and others aren't. Now, I think what critics would say at the moment, however, uh, is that particularly in light of the fact that Benedict XVI has declared the so-called new evangelization to be his highest internal priority for the Church, 
And he's defined the new evangelization in the first instance in terms of outreach to alienated and, and lapsed Catholics in the West, precisely in places like Ireland and the United States and elsewhere. I think what critics would want to ask is, whatever you think of the merits of these cases, uh, is knocking heads right now the best way to go about uh, throwing the, cho- the, the, the doors of the church back open and inviting people to come back in? Or would a sort of kinder, gentler, more inclusive uh, tone uh, from the Holy See be more effective as an evangelical tool? Uh, And uh, I I quite frankly think that the Darcy case would be sort of exhibit A for those who believe that uh, that another approach is called for. I just I just wonder if you're aware that uh, this week another storm has broken around uh, Cardinal Sean Brady, who, of course, is the primate of all Ireland, that when he was Father Sean Brady back in 1975, another victim of abuse has come forward to say that he didn't pass on information to the parents of the children and two of them continued to be abused by the serial child sex abuser. Now, there is a perception here that you have people like Cardinal Brady around whom these scandals are breaking and he's awarded the highest honour of the church. He's the cardinal, he's the primate of all Ireland and you have a good, decent man like Brian Darcy who's being censured. What's your view on that? Well, I, I would say that that is hardly just an Irish perception. I would say that, that, that similar criticisms uh, have been leveled uh, against uh, the way the Vatican imposes discipline in the United States, in Germany, in Belgium, in France, many other parts of the world. Uh, and I think it, it is a, a plain fact that the nature of the system uh, in the Vatican tends to be that it is able to respond with much greater alacrity to perceived doctrinal deviations than it is to virtually anything else. Now, obviously, to put all this in context, it has to be said that uh, one could make a case that Benedict XVI is something of a reformer uh, on the sex abuse issue. Of course, when he was at the Congregation for the Faith, he was the architect of the Vatican's uh, new norms, which, whatever one makes of them, clearly are, are tougher uh, than what the Vatican had in place before. Uh, and uh, as Pope, uh, he has continued to call for uh, a more aggressive and proactive response to the crisis. But I, I think clearly the, the, the missing piece of the puzzle uh, that, that virtually everyone who has taken a serious look at this issue would identify uh, is that the, the Vatican and the Catholic Church now has very tough, some would even say draconian rules in place for priests who abuse, but there aren't similarly draconian measures in place for bishops uh, who fail to act, bishops and, and other superiors uh, in the Church. Uh, and I think the Brady case is merely the latest illustration that that remains a, a fairly serious lacuna, uh, so to speak, in the way the Church has engaged this crisis. John Allen speaking to Jerry McArdle from Rome. The report on the patronage of primary schools in Ireland released last month is another topic that has given rise to heated debate. Writing in the Irish Times shortly after the report's release, columnist John Waters said that the pious language of pluralism used was an effort to dress up a determination to supplant the core beliefs that have sustained Irish people for more than a thousand years with interpretations of reality making a bogus claim on reason. John Waters joins us now from our Sligo studios and here in Dublin we're joined by the CEO of Educate Together, Paul Rowe. John, can I come to you first to elaborate a little bit on that piece you wrote in the Irish Times? 
Well, my concern, Eileen, on this is that uh, we have lost sight of the meaning of, I think, both religion and education. And where we're going with this uh, document and the, the philosophy and the ideology that is behind it is really towards a place where we are going to remove uh, religion from the public realm and for the education system entirely. Religion is not really what we have kind of come culturally to believe it is, as some kind of like... Uh, chosen, you know, ideology, which, you know, is an add-on benefit to our everyday social existences. It's actually a core belief, a core view. Now, if you're a parent and you pass on your core perception of reality to your children, and then you send children out into the public realm, into the education system, and what they encounter there is something entirely different. There's a divergence from the belief they have grown up with thus far. You have a serious kind of shock uh, applied to their consciousness, is. And uh, as a result, you actually uh, undo and, and rupture the uh, f- basis, basic uh, grounding that they have received as, uh, in the home. And I think that's an issue that isn't being understood in all this rhetoric about choice and inclusiveness and pluralism. We really seem to be, I think, creating a kind of a, a culture of lowest common denominator, where the common denominator will be a kind of enforced indifference to the religious idea. Uh, and gradually, I think that that will move us closer and closer to nihilism. But we're not talking about doing away with religious instruction. No, no, we're not. But but there's a difference. My point is that there is a difference in actually a system actually having a belief uh, at its core. Uh, if you have brought your child up in that viewpoint, in that perception uh, for several years at home and they go into a, ch- a school where, uh, you know, by the plan that Rory Quinn has outlined, in the future there will be no uh, uh, religious iconography pertaining to that belief system, the Christian belief system, uh, or at least it will be placed alongside other icons, which are, you know, as a kind of a pick and mix situation, then you actually challenge that, the, the, the grounding that that child has received to that point. Paul Rowe, if I can bring you in on this. I, I think John is misinterpreting or misunderstanding the, the intent of what's happening in, in, uh, in, in Irish education at the moment. There is no proposal to remove uh, religion from schools. There is no proposal to remove the right of the Catholic majority in the country to send their children to Catholic schools and those, those schools to be genuinely Catholic in the way in which they, um, they deliver that particular world outlook. Uh, the problem that we have, and we have as a society, and the, the problem that the government has, is that there is a very significant minority of families who wish that their children are, are educated differently. And I was listening very carefully to what John was saying, and he describes very eloquently the the problem that a a family has when they bring up their children or their child in a particular way with a particular world outlook, and then they go to a school which dr- dramatically conflicts that world outlook. Now, that's what's actually happening for a, a very significant minority of families in the country at the moment, and that's what uh, this forum and uh, what uh, the government is trying to address in a very careful, very, very um, constructive, very positive way and uh, that's the reason why that all the major parties in, in Irish education are welcoming this report and welcoming, uh, welcoming the opportunity it gives us to bring the system into balance. And that is going to be the ben- to the benefit of all and, not, uh, and, and will not infringe on the rights of, uh, of anybody. And John, isn't it true that the Catholic Church has been leading the way on this somewhat? Archbishop Martin has been very vocal over the years. 
Well, I, I think that you know, the Catholic Church in, in Ireland at the moment is under a lot of pressure. It is on the defensive and I think it seeks to, in a certain sense, um, purchase credits in certain areas as, in order to ameliorate some of the damage which is, it has suffered elsewhere. So I, I don't necessarily think that what the ch- Church decides to do uh, politically should be necessarily the definitive word on the subject. I think that that Catholics themselves have a responsibility and a right to raise their voices and point out things. Uh, You see, the problem is that this is a Christian country and has been for, you know, over a thousand years. Now, that has some value and must have some value. You cannot simply, you know, disintegrate that that out of some notion that being tolerant of everybody uh, creates a kind of equality. Because in the end, you actually discriminate then against the majority. We acknowledge that, but don't you have to allow for other views too? You do indeed, yes. And, and, and that's a question that we should really uh, be looking at in a slightly different way, I think. We need to actually say, well, how do we then accommodate uh, those who have di- divergent views, who are not of the majority faith, but without actually uh, seeking to place the, uh, to, to, to disable the, the majority faith, to handicap the majority faith, to treat it as though it were in some way a kind of an imposition on people of a different viewpoint, because it isn't. And another thing we haven't considered is what would our society be like if you sucked Christianity out of it? You know, we, can t- we kind of think in a kind of a certain luxuriant way, a luxurious way about, uh, you know, we have this choice that if we, we can take it or leave it. But if everybody leaves it, that creates an entirely different situation, even for those who don't want it, than if a majority still has it. Now, we have not looked at these, and the church, I'll have to say, has not looked at this, and the church has not actually spoken in these terms, and it should be speaking like this. Well, the rules we operate under at the moment date from 1965. Paul, Rule 68, which put religion at the centre of the curriculum, is that a problem for freeing up the Irish primary school system? The rules of 1965... Um, well, the first time that the national school was the national school system in Ireland was declared to be a denominational system, and uh, the uh, I think everybody in Irish education realises that these rules are dramatically out of date. They cause huge administrative problems for people running schools because uh, after '65. Um, we have literally hundreds of circulars and ministerial regulations governing uh, governing the education system, and it's a an administrative nightmare trying to work out what actually what actual rules and regulations actually apply. So everybody in Irish education has been calling for the f- a thorough and complete review of the rules for national schools. We have to step back and realise the context in which this book of rules was finalised. The particular rule number 68 clearly clearly doesn't apply in the sense that we now have a plurality of different types of schools and it's, quite, it's legally impossible um, for this rule to be applied in a number of our schools. Uh, the rules are, are rules for national schools, and that is for the whole system. They're not rules for Catholic schools or Protestant schools or educate together schools. They're the, they're the universal set of regulations in which the system operates, and uh, they, they have to be brought, you know, brought up to date. And this particular rule, I, I've not heard a single uh, Catholic or Protestant uh, educator uh, stating, or stating that this rule is necessary for them to deliver the religious ethos or the religious uh, world outlook uh, in their schools. So uh, it should be removed. It's unnecessary. 
This is about how we as a modern democratic state treat children in schools. Um, John, John has a particular view, and that is a very uh, trenchantly expressed uh, view of a, uh, of a particular religious outlook. Um, we have to recognize that there are different views in our society today and that children uh, entering our schools have not chosen their families, have not chosen the religious identity in which they are being brought up in, in home for the first four years of their life. And it's, it is completely unconscionable to all of us that a child coming into a, st a state-funded primary school, that that child should feel uh, marginalised or diminished simply as a result of the accident of their birth. We're about empowering learning. We're about inspiring children to be their best, to inspire children to think critically, to critically engage. One of the things which I think is one of the main reasons why parents and an increasing number of parents are, are seeking to send their children to educate together schools is because we explicitly acknowledge the diversity of cultural and religious belief in the society and use that as a wonderful source of educational resource. John, the Constitution guarantees to respect the inalienable right and duty of parents to provide according to their means for the religious and moral education of their children and to support those rights by providing a system. Surely that has to be for other religions than just Catholic. Yeah, but it also has to be for Catholics. And that's the point. You see, uh, we're moving here towards a situation where Catholicism is seen... We are already in a situation where Catholicism is seen as a problem. Christianity is increasingly seen as a problem. Uh, and that and we have to, in a sense, uh, liberalise ourselves out of that situation. Now, I say this is totally fatal for our culture. It is totally fatal for our children and for their sense of reality, for their capacity to function as total human beings in this uh, world. And I think that the implications of that are not understood. And it isn't the case that, that, that you know, I'm, I'm inventing some kind of straw man. You know, it's all there in, this, in, the, in the subtext of this report. It's all there in the speeches made by the Minister for Education. Uh, his intentions are very clear, that they want to actually uh, neuter Catholicism in this culture and remove it from public sight. Parents are being bullied uh, on this. I mean, words like inclusiveness and, and pluralism are, are obviously uh, have the, the pattern of, of virtuous words and they are being used uh, to silence people and prevent people seeing and discussing clearly what is at stake here for themselves and for their children. Uh, I don't believe that many Catholics really understand what's at stake in the loss of religion because there is, I think, this simplified, reduced idea already in our culture that religion is really just about rules. It isn't about rules. It's about understanding what you are, what it is to be alive, how you got here, the miracle, the wonder, the mystery of life. These are religious ideas uh, and they cannot be conveyed in some kind of secular sociological tract, uh, which is what Rory Quinn would impose on our children. Well, we'll have to see what his official response is. It's due out later this month. And Paul Rowe and John Waters, no doubt you'll have more to say on the subject then. Thank you both for joining us this evening. Finally this week, the prophets of doom never tire of telling us that God and religion are at worst dead or at best irrelevant. Taking a walk around Dublin City on a typical Saturday afternoon might give those prophets pause for thought, which is exactly what our reporter Claire McCormack did. And here's what her microphone picked up. But no Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no joy. 
No, Jesus, no understanding. The priest up in the church, he lied to them. He told them, you were born again when you were baptized as a baby. Well, the scripture says, a man needs to be born again, not a baby. So if he's telling the people they were born again when they were baptized as babies, he's a liar. And the liar is from Satan, the scripture says. And not only did bad things come out of religion, because uh, you can do a religious job and no relationship with Jesus. And the difference between human life and animal life is that on the human platform, we can make inquiries. Why we're we here, what's the goal of life? Why those Hare Krishnas chanting in the street? <laughs> right, like that, yeah? So the animals can't make that inquiry. Why are the Hare Krishnas chanting in the street? So what we're doing, we're, we're, we're chanting the holy names of God. And that's in the revealed scriptures, in these Vedic scriptures, thousands of years ago, human beings were much more highly evolved. I stand on a little stool I bought in Woody's and I hold up the name of Jesus and uh, you know principally because I feel the Lord's called us to do it uh, some people will begin to think about Jesus others will uh, apart from thinking what an Egypt that is on the stool they'll they will uh, maybe come to us and ask us what are we doing excuse me Hey, my friend and I are sharing about how God has a plan for our families and how we can be with them forever. Would it be important to you to be with your family forever? Our purpose is to just give an invitation to the people of Ireland about Islam, tell them what the link is between Christianity and Islam. And we find that when people find out really, they find out that you know, Christianity is very close to Islam and that Jesus was in fact a Muslim, alaykum salam, and that Jesus was in fact a Muslim himself, you see. And when they find out this, uh, they really understand Islam, it's very important to us that we give a clear message, you know. Uh, I'm from Dublin myself, so it's very important that uh, I had to travel all the way to Saudi Arabia to find out about Islam, you know. Um, I think they're more familiar with the name, I think that, that more often than not, that's the reaction that we get, is they say, we've heard of the church, we've heard of Mormons, but they don't really know a whole lot about what we believe. Our key message is that after centuries of being lost, the full gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth, complete with prophets and apostles. And that is the message that we share with everyone, that if it's true that the church of Jesus Christ is on the earth again, then the doctrines taught in it and the way by which we return to Heavenly Father is truly the path that will lead us to eternal life. What is the sign, John 3.7, that you're holding, Shin? John, John 3.7 says, do not be surprised, I tell you, you must be born again to see, to see the kingdom of God or enter into it. A man has to be born again. So that, that requires three very simple things. It requires a man to just go to God or a person to go to God and just recognize that, yeah, I'm a sinner, I've been wrong. You know, I, I want a new start with you, I want to repent. To acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's God and Lord, and that he died on the cross for any and every accusation that could be leveled against you in this world or in the next, and that he rose again. So no religion needed. <laughs> Salvation is for all people. Uh, you know, I go to a church in, in Ballypullen in Fairhouse. It's a lovely church, and we have a we have a congregation of you know many ages and many different nationalities and people. Uh, we accept them all because when you become born again, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't judge anyone because at the end of the day, anyone can be saved.
That report was compiled by Claire McCormack. Before we go, on Sunday, as a prelude to the International Eucharistic Congress, the Irish Papal Nuncio Archbishop Charles Brown will celebrate Mass in the RTE studios with volunteers and staff of the IEC. The music, which includes Mozart's Spatzen Mass or Sparrow Mass and the IEC hymn, will be performed by the Palestrina Choir and the RTE Concert Orchestra, conducted by Blonet Murphy. And that's our programme for this week. Our phone number is 01208-2039. Our email address is godslot at rte.ie and our postal address, the Godslot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. Until next Friday at the same time, Slán is banacht. Mm,